Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Good evening and welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? I'm your host, Chad Knight, and let's get right at it tonight. Um, Welcome to my mind mare. So, as a lot of you know, I'm guessing by now that uh, earlier this week, August 29th actually, Gene Wilder passed away. Now, Gene Wilder was an actor, a comedian, a writer, a director. He kind of did it all. Um, He held a special place in my heart. Um, I don't say that very often about actors because I never met Gene Wilder. I don't know him from Adam, you know, honestly. But he's held a special place in my heart because of, well, several movies. But most specifically, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Growing up, that was a staple for me. That was a staple that I still watch. It's a movie I've introduced to my daughters. Um, I just think it it was a wonderfully fun movie. Um, I think Gene Wilder hit the part of Willy Wonka head on. Unless, of course, you read the book. In which case, he was nothing like Willy Wonka. But that's a different part of the story. So... He died recently um, of complications due to Alzheimer's disease. Um, He was born, and I just found this out after his passing, actually. He was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin in 1933, June 11th to be exact. So a few of the movies that really stick with me that I really, really enjoyed of his um, are The Producers, which uh, he did in 1967, Uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, 1971, uh, Everything You Always Wanted to Know About Sex, 1972. Not a one you should watch with your kids. It's, I believe, a Woody Allen movie, but it's hilarious. Um, he only has a bit part in that one, by the way, too. So if you're looking to get a good feel of uh, of Gene Wilder, that's not the one movie you want to see. Uh, Blazing Saddles, 1974. Um, Young Frankenstein, also in 1974. Both of those are... Um, Mel Brooks movies, and um, they're both a lot of fun. I prefer Young Frankenstein over Blazing Saddles. Um, I recommend both of those as a watch, though. Um, Stir Crazy in 1980, um, that one he did with, uh, I don't know, some uh, some other comedian. Um, I can't think of his name right now. And then, of course, uh, one of his little-known movies, but one I happen to like a lot, is Haunted Honeymoon from 1986. So... You know, all in all, does his passing affect me in any way? Not really. But yet there's that sentimental, nostalgic part of it all that kind of makes me go, you know, when you when you connect with a character, whether or not you connect with the person behind the character, when you connect with a character, it can cause a strong bond, even though you've never met the person. And the person is not who... Um, the person is not who you're connecting with. It's the character. But anyway, he played a lot of characters that I really connect with. 
Um, and, and my guest was nice enough here to point out that Richard Pryor was who he did Stir Crazy with. So that's the other comedian. All right. So let's move on from this and get into this week in history. So today being September 2nd, uh, 2016, my first article is, uh, of course, from uh, www.history.com slash this day in history. Um, is from September 2nd, 1969. The first ATM opens for business. On this day in 1969, America's first automatic teller machine makes its public debut, dispensing cash to customers at Chemical Bank in Rockville Center, New York. ATMs went on to revolutionize the banking industry, eliminating the need to visit a bank to conduct business financial transactions. I cannot read tonight. I'm sorry. Uh, today, ATMs are indispensable to most people as cell phones and email. Several inventors worked on early versions of the cash dispensing machine, but Don Wetzel, an executive at DocuTel, a Dallas company that developed automatic baggage handling equipment, is generally credited as coming up with the idea for the modern ATM. The, modern, the ATM that debuted in New York in 1969 was only able to give out cash, but in 1971, an ATM that could handle multiple functions, including providing customers' account balances, was introduced. ATMs eventually expanded beyond the confines of banks, and today can be found everywhere from gas stations to convenience stores to cruise ships. There's even an ATM at McMurdo Station in Antarctica. Today, there are well over 1 million ATMs around the world, with a new one added approximately every five minutes. It's estimated that more than 170 Americans over the age of 18 had an ATM card in 2005 and use it six to eight times a month. Not surprisingly, ATMs get their busiest workouts on Friday. Second article is from September 1st, 1985. The wreck of the Titanic found. 73 years after it sunk to the North Atlantic Ocean floor, a joint U.S.-French expedition locates the wreck of the RMS Titanic. The sunken liner was about 400 miles east of Newfoundland in the North Atlantic. American Robert D. Ballard headed the expedition, which used an experimental unmanned submersible developed by the U.S. Navy to search for the ocean liner. The Argo traveled just above the ocean floor, sending photographs up to the up to the research vessel Nor. In the early morning of September 1st, Argo was investigating debris on the ocean floor when it suddenly passed over one of the Titanic's massive boilers. Lying at a depth of about 13,000 feet, the wreck was subsequently explored by manned and unmanned submersibles, which shed new light on the details of its 1912 sinking. And our last article for this week is August 31st, 1888. Jack the Ripper claims his first victim. Prostitute Marianne Nichols, the first victim of London serial killer Jack the Ripper, is found murdered and mutilated in Whitechapel's Buick, I'm sorry, Whitechapel's Bucks Row. The East End of London saw four more victims of the murderer during the next few months, but no suspect was ever found. In Victorian England, London's East End was a teeming slum occupied by nearly a million of the city's poorest citizens. Many women were forced to resort to prostitution. And in 1888, there were estimated to be more than 1,000 prostitutes in Whitechapel. That summer, a serial killer began targeting these downtrodden women. On September 8th, the killer claimed his second victim, Annie Chapman. And on September 30th, two more prostitutes, Liz Stride and Kate Eddowes, 
were murdered and carved up on the same night. By then, London's police had determined the pattern of the killings. The murderer, offering, offering to pay for sex, would lure young his victims onto a secluded street or square and then slice their throats. As the women rapidly bled to death, he would then brutally mutilate them with the same six-inch knife. The police, who lacked modern forensic techniques such as fingerprinting and blood typing, were at a complete loss for suspects. Dozens of letters allegedly written by the murderer were sent to the police, and the vast majority of these were immediately deemed fraudulent. However, two letters written by the same person alluded to a crime to crime facts known only by to the police and the killer. These letters, signed Jack the Ripper, gave rise to the serial killer's popular name. On November 7th, a month after the silence, Jack took his fifth and last victim, Irish-born Mary Kelly, an occasional prostitute. Of all his victims' corpses, Kelly's was the most hideously mutilated. In 1892, with no leads found and no more murders recorded, the Jack the Ripper file was closed. Well, we all know that um, it really hasn't been closed. It may be closed by Scotland Yard, but history has not closed the case on Jack the Ripper yet. All right, so the moment we've all been waiting for, the moment we wait every week for. My special guest tonight, buddy of mine, I've known him now long time. I'd say working on 20 years, if not 20 years, give or take. Uh, Mike Loomis. Mostly take. <laughs> it's Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein. Okay. So and it's it's Mike Lumai. Yes. Yes. The S is silent. And I want to be a producer. Do we hit show on Broadway? Okay. Don't don't we all? Yes. Actually Mike and I met in doing theater work. Yes. Um, Packer fans from outer space. Packer fans from outer space. Yeah. Uh it's the only show that I have ever had a leading role in. Um it was a lot of fun. It's a blast. Uh, it was a lot of hard work, too, and I got to wear a corset. So, you know, anybody that knows me, go ahead and picture it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so this is the part where, uh, Mike, you go ahead. You tell us about yourself. Tell us what you do. Tell us about uh, whatever you want to tell us about. And uh, from there, then we'll get into your topic. Tell, okay. Uh, you've already explained who I am. My name is Michael Loomis. Uh, my official title for what I do is... Director of Guest Services and Event Management for uh, the local Grand Theater here in town. Um, a little bit about myself. I've been involved uh, on and off with theater since uh, high school, which would have been 1983, 19, yeah, through 87. Uh, moved into doing technical work at the uh, uh, Grand Theater. Uh, got married, uh, went off, started my own business, uh, divorced. Uh, left that business, uh, met my current wife, who is the love of my life, um, have two children of my own, uh, Spencer and Bailey. Hi, Spencer. Hi, Bailey. Um, Spencer better be listening to this. Yeah. And, uh, and you can check out his pod. No. Uh, <laughs> and then... Uh, uh, he can pimp his podcast right. when he comes on my podcast. <laughs> um, adopted my daughter, my daughters, my wife's children, uh, Derek and Michaela. Hi, Derek. Hi, Michaela. Um, and, uh, you know, lived happily, ever, happily ever after. All right. So last week I said, Mike's coming on the show and my official guess for what Mike's going to bring to me to talk about is I have no clue. So obviously I'm wrong because I have no idea what it is. So 
hit me with it. What are we what are we talking about this week? Not even an inkling, huh? Given my personality, how long we've known each other, the type of person I am. All right. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to pigeon toe you. But I'm going to say Star Trek? Not even close. I did consider it, however. <laughs> uh, no, let's talk about love. Love? Let's talk about sex, baby. Okay. Uh, no, we'll just settle in love. Love. So, yes. Excellent. Okay. Now, it's a very uh, fond subject of mine. Uh, I happen to have a, uh, a love of it of my own. That's good. Uh, that's good. Your know, wife is a lovely lady. Yes, and uh, uh, you know when we talk about love, I uh, uh, I like to model myself after you and your wife. I think uh, our relationships are you know pretty much one and the same. It's obviously a, a deep love, a a love that uh, lasts the eons, and and uh, you know I'm very happy to call my myself her uh, her husband, and 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 there's not a love uh, that I could ever match that I've ever had in my life other than to watch my children being born. Um, you know, that's the sort of love that we have. Um, but, uh, going into this, uh, I did a little research and discovered there's more than one type of love. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, um, for your kind words about my wife and I, um, you know, and, and, and I think it's mutual because when I look at you and, and, and Paula and, and the life that you guys share together, you know, even though I've got what I've got, there are times that I'm just tad bit jealous about what you got you know what i mean and i'm sure that works you know both ways and and all this stuff but um yeah love let's let's talk love tell me what you got there well you know I, i've always been fascinated by uh the way treat people treat each other um you know we talk about uh loving one another we talk about uh the love we have for our our, our spouses the love we have for our children uh brotherly love that sort of thing uh, you know, and the one thing that's always sort of struck me as the, you know, the epitome of love is that agape love, that uh, unselfish sort of uh, charity giving love for anybody at any time. Um, you know, and that's the sort of thing that uh, as, a, as, a, as a Christian, as, you know, as a, as a devout uh, follower of Jesus Christ, um, that sort of love that I like to work towards, you know. Um, but, uh, you know... We, I, I, I had to go through a sort of stressful situation this morning. My, uh, my mother, who has, uh, uh, like Gene Wilder, has uh, suffered with dementia for a long, long time, uh, has reached that point um, in her life where uh, we, we have moved her into hospice care. Okay. You know, now that's not the end all. That's just the sort of beginning to let's just keep her comfortable kind of thing. Right, absolutely. You know, and it's that. You know, it's that familial love, you know, that, that love I have for my mother. She, you know, she raised me, she bore me, she, you know, she is the, the, the person who, you know, with my father, obviously, uh, taught me to be the person that I am. So Right. And there's, there's, I mean, like you said, there's, there's different types of love and that love between a child and, and a parent, a mother, a father. And I mean, even that love's different, you know, the love you have for your mother versus the love you have for your father. Those are even different. I mean, um, for myself anyway, I mean, um, but you're right. Um, so right now we're talking that familial love, that, that love of parents, that love of siblings, that kind of, that kind of love. So yeah, what the Greeks would refer to as a uh, storge love, okay. uh, you know, or storage if you read it wrong, but, um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's a familial love. It's you know, it's that sort of interaction you learn to to be because they are the people that take care of you, right? Um, you know, and most of the time it's a it's sort of a precedented love in the sense that uh, your 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 mother and father, your your parents, 
uh, in essence, love you more than you can love them back sometimes. You know, there's that that unique relationship that you have because you're a very selfish little brat when you're a baby. Oh, you know? absolutely. So, and so. and parents, you know, they always say par- parents' love for their kids are without borders. And both of us being parents, I can tell you that that's true. There are times that you just, you have that urge to, you know, as Bill Cosby would say, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. I want you to go upstairs and kill that boy. Exactly. But in reality, it's just because you're watching them develop and become the person they're going to become, there's going to be growing pains. And you're right, children, especially from that age of five or six up until... Well, I'll let you know when it ends. <laughs> are are very self-centric. I don't want to say selfish because they're not. My girls are very self-centric, but they're not selfish. They they will help somebody else. They want to help other people, but it all comes back to them. And that's just a part of growing up, I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's a, it's a maturity. It's, you know, I mean, I, I say the same thing about my children is, is yeah, they're not selfish. They by you know by any means they they're loving, caring people, and they they would you know give anything to protect somebody. But um, you know there is a certain you know we all look into ourselves in certain certain situations. Yeah, and know, I think so. you, I think that's the human condition. You kind of do that. That's that's your safe place in a lot of cases to go is inside yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, and then you know we sort of look at the other side of that that that, that brotherly love. You know, we talk about Philadelphia, and, and, and you know, the Philadelphia is it's many Greek words put together. Uh, it's it sort of means brotherly love. Yeah. You know, yep. and that's or philia, as that one's called. Uh, friendship, you know, the we all have that. That's the sort of you know, love we have for each other. Right. You know, we don't, uh, we, uh, we met in a combined situation, a very familiar situation to ourselves. Um, we got to know each other very well. Uh, that relationship grew, um, but it's never really going to go beyond that, you know, sort of friendship. Right. For each right. Other, you know? Yeah. So, we're so. <laughs> there, there's, there's an end to, well, not an end. I mean, you're one of those friends I have that if you called me at two in the morning and said, I, and I, and I need your help, you know, this is going on. I would do it without thinking. Mm-hmm. But if you called me at two in the morning and you said, come share my bed, that's not going to happen. And yeah, not that you would do that. Yeah, no, but, but um, if, you know, it's the other way around for me, you know. Oh, uh, okay. In, so, no, in the sense that, I mean, I'd be at work. So, but, uh, um, no, and you're absolutely right. You know, and you're the, the type of person that I've always felt that uh, if you ever needed anything, that's that, that relationship we've developed. Right. Um, but uh, it'll never grow beyond that because it's right. right, you know. Exactly. Um, so. Now, just, just to let everybody know, I've talked about this in the past. I am a Christian. I'm a Catholic. Mike is also a Christian. However, he is... UCC. UCC. United Church of Christ. Yeah, there you go. Um, which is a Protestant religion? Yeah, it's it's the old Evangelical and Reformed German churches, the uh, okay. churches of Christ, uh, that sort of thing. So. so, yeah. So, I mean, we share a lot of the aspects of... Even our church life are the same. I mean, there are some differences, but for the basic overall of what we believe and what we learn in church they're very similar um just by my going to church at my church and actually my wife belongs to mike's church so when i go to church with her it's the same readings 
you know, we do the, it's the same, it's the same rituals happen. Um, but you know, honestly, between my church and your church, when I go to your church, it feels a lot more open, you know, a lot more accepting. Um, and I guess that's one of the issues I've always had with my own religion, which now we're getting into a completely different (laughs) podcast, but you know, um, but yeah, your your take on the religion, your church's take on the religion is a lot more open and loving feeling anyway, um, especially to an outsider than, say, going into a Catholic church, which is very doctrinated, very stiff in what they do. Yeah, and that boils uh, that boils back down into the the history of the church. You know, the United Church of Christ uh, was formed in the mid fifties um, through that Evangelical Reformed Church and Disciples of Christ and, and Churches of Christ, I believe it was. And but you know, the ENR churches going all the way back, they can trace their roots all the way back to to uh, Luther himself. You know, um, and so there's there's a definite uh, doctrine history, a liturgical history to it. Uh, but uh, the throughout time, uh, they. Uh, began to understand things differently, uh, you know, had different conversations, um, uh, began to sort of look at things not so much about uh, they, uh, we honor the rituals and we, you know, we, we do communion. Uh, the UCC only uh, recognizes um, uh, baptism and uh, 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 communion as, as, as uh, sacramental rites. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, uh, you know, but we also do, uh, um, communion or not communion uh, confirmation thank you confirmation and you know all that other stuff uh, but it's just not as holy it's, it's not so. it's not a sacrament it's still a rite within the church but it's just not one of the um, you know one of the uh, things that get you a seal from Christ kind of the way the Catholic Church looks at the seven sacraments correct exactly you know, we're we're of that belief belief of, of no matter what uh, you know Christ died on the cross for you you are saved um, uh, as long as you believe right you know um, and and you know and, and that's true of the Catholic uh, yeah faith too yeah but, you know just a little more sort of we're defined, little, yeah so, we're a so. little more stringent yes yeah, exactly. so <laughs> Uh, but we 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 stray more towards that uh, uh, pure love for each other, no matter what. Right. Know, so right. You know, if you look at it from a conservative versus liberal outlook, too, that's a big difference between our two churches, too. Mm-hmm. Where the Catholic Church tends to be more of a conservative outlook, the uh, UCC tends to be more of a liberal outlook, which is why I think it's a better fit for my wife. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and who knows, someday maybe me, you know, (laughs) you never can tell. Um, well, we don't want that on our conscience, you know, so, so (laughs) I think I've just been uninvited. No, 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 of course not. You're always welcome here. So no matter where you are in life's journey. All right. So let's, let's spin back around here to the, uh, brotherly love. I'm sorry. I went off on a tangent there. We like tangents. We also like tangerines. Tangerines are good. I love Um, tangerines. I prefer oranges over tangerines, but honestly, I prefer mandarin oranges over any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Not a mandarin orange fan, actually. Really? Yeah. 
To me, they're a little too bitter. They're too. I see, and I like that. Know, they're a little. Bitter. They're a little bitter. Um, but I don't have to the food again. But I don't have to Pizza, eat the piths. Cream, so, yeah. You know, I don't have to eat the piths to yeah, get that, that's that's that right. bitterness. <laughs> All right. So anyway, brotherly love. So, so we kind of talked about that one. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, we talked about sorry, agape love. Uh, the, you know, the next one is ludus, uh, a playful or, or uncommitted love, sort of that that, that flirting, that dating okay. sort of love, that you know, ooh, kind of thing. You know, yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And know. I think we we've all been through that. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, high school mostly. So yeah, well, yeah, so. yeah, high school. There was there was a lot of girlfriends. Um, Not by me. No, so, no, I no, I kind of only had one. Yeah. A lot of friends, but yeah, I was a loser. Well, you know, see, I I was one of those kids in school. I kind of I know sit, you know, like well, you, I could always go anywhere, any group, almost except the jocks. When who cares about the jocks? Uh, <laughs> this is Chad Kanegat. His home address is no. <laughs> Um, you know, but for the most part, I, I flowed because I did, I did a lot of extracurriculars. I was, uh, I was in French club. I was, um, a theater guy. I was a choir kid. So they were all the geeky things, but I did a lot of them. Um, so I did, I did have a fair amount of girlfriends up through about my junior year. And I mean, they were very much high school relationships. We were going out when we were at school, you know, kind of thing. Um, and then my between my sophomore and my junior year, I met Nicole. Um, and we did have our ups and downs. But in the end, we ended up getting married um, two years after I graduated high school. Um, so we like to scare people and go, we were high school sweethearts. and Because uh, <laughs> we were. Yeah. But, um, you know, she... She would get these these thoughts in her head, like she would go off to college because she's a year older than I am. So she was going to go off to college and have younger. This big... He meant younger. He's a year younger than he is. No, she's a year older than I am. <laughs> Mike's just trying to stay out of trouble, but you know what? I don't think she listens to this podcast, so I'm okay. <laughs> but you know, she was going off to college, and she said she broke up with me. And years later, I found out because she thought she was going to have this big college romance. You know, and, and I get that, I guess I kind of get that idea of, you know, it's something new. It's this, it's that, it's the next thing. Um, but you know, in the end we ended up back together. Best thing I ever did. We just celebrated 20 years together, um, last month. And, uh, so I wouldn't change it for anything, you know, um, but it all started out with the type of love you're talking about that, that high school kind of, um, giddiness that high school you know that, that kind of yeah they, they you know refer to flirt flirting seducing you know conjugating i hope that wasn't true but not um, in high school you know, it's no about, it's, it's, it's about the fun you know it's about that right but a lot of times that sort of love is mistaken uh for the you know uh, other type of love sort of the love everybody knows which is the eros love you know, right the, the, the love of you know uh more so the ears yeah, of ears, yes, you know, the passionate love, the, you know, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, the sexual nature of love, right. that sort of thing. Uh, that doesn't mean, you know, flat out, you know, bump and grind 24-7, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a sexual element to it, but it's more than just the sex. It's about that passion we feel, but that passion can burn off. You know, there's a huge difference between passionate love and agape love. Right, know, so. and, and 
I'm sure you've seen that in your relationships, um, you know, being married as I have. I mean, when, you know, when you're first married, it's, it's all about the whole, you know, how much time can we spend between the sheets, <laughs> you know, at the very beginning. But you're right. That burns off after a while and you just get to know and love the person instead of knowing and loving the act. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, then that's, you know, then then you go into that uh, sort of prag, pragmatic love, pragma love. Uh, it's a practical love founded on reason and, and long-term interests, you know, that, you know, once we get beyond that stage of we're not just uh, physically attracted to each other, we actually have a deep relationship, uh, you move into that longer-term love. Right, you know, so. and and that, that pragmatic love doesn't mean... All the elements of the other one is gone. You know, the, all the elements of the eros and the um, and the other one you said. I'm sorry, I'm not good with Latin words. <laughs> well, they're Greek, but that's okay. Okay, I'm <laughs> good with Greek. I don't speak Greek either. Strangely enough, I'm I'm bli, bli, I'm bilingual. I speak English and I speak American. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Put the shrimp on the Bobby. That would be Australian. Yes, I speak that one also. Well, there, there you go. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I definitely um, know what you're talking about. That that love of, you know, like like my wife and I, we are looking forward at this point to, we have one kid that's going off to college in a year. We have another kid that's going off to college in three years. So what do you do when the kids are gone? I mean, you, you know, we've spent the last 16 years and it's all about, taking care of the kids, making sure the kids have what they need, you know, and everything. And a lot of, at least in my opinion, a lot of the relationship becomes that, that, um, that long-term relationship because you're so focused on making sure the kids are where they are, what they need and all that's taken care of. By the time you get to the end of that, there's not a whole lot of time left for, you and your spouse and working on it, you know, you have to make the time, you know, Nikki and I made a, a promise to each other years ago, never go to work, go to bed mad. And as far as I can tell, we've gone to bed irked, <laughs> but we have not gone to bed mad, you know, and we, especially early on, because when we first got together and we lived together for six months before <gasps> we got married. Um, it was actually a practical thing. We were in a college town. It was, it was uh, leases and sublets, and it just made more sense. We just got an apartment together. Uh, I'm not going to say we were angels by any stroke of the imagination, but we got through all the little stuff. You know, we got through the arguing about, oh man, you squeezed the toothpaste from the middle, or oh, you like the toilet paper coming from underneath and not over, and you know, all those silly little arguments that. Um, in what I have read, cause a lot of issues in new marriages and can even be the source or at least the start of a source for the breakdown of that relationship. So it was, it, it's, it's kind of hard for me to say, but it's something that if my daughters were ever to ask me, I would recommend that if they were engaged, planning on getting married, I would recommend that they live with someone for six months or a year before the wedding. God, I hope my mother doesn't listen to this because I'm in deep trouble. But um, honestly, and and being a Catholic, that's also a big no-no. So I'm just making all kinds of people mad right now. 
But in all honesty, that's what worked for us. And I don't see that as a bad thing for people who are in a committed relationship that, you know, yes, the paperwork might not be signed, but if they're at the point, and, and I look back on it and I think Nikki and I were already married in our heads at this point. It's a whole different ballgame. Now, if my daughter came home and said, I've been dating Bobby for two months, we're moving in together. I would have a whole different response to that than what I just talked about. Because I believe the words over my and dead body would be included in that conversation. Yeah, I think that would be the entire yeah, conversation. Much, yes. <laughs> uh, no, but you're absolutely right. You know, and, and Paul and I have, uh, you know, this is where we have that similarity is uh, from a very early point in our relationship. Uh, we discussed many things. We each had two children. Uh, we both were divorced. Um, uh, we had made a decision not to introduce ourselves to each other's children until we were sure that this was more than just that sort of short term. Hey, you know, uh, right. Hey, I like you today, but next Tuesday I'm going to be out of here. Yeah. So yeah, you know, that was that commitment to our future we made and, and we've always said to each other not to go to bed angry at each other. Uh, or if we do go to bed angry at each other to always wake up forgiving, you know, because, uh, that sort of love, that that unselfish, charitable love, allows you to forgive anything. You know, uh, you know. One of the things that uh, you have to remember is that, you know, we're on this earth to take care of each other, and and I don't mean to take care of each other in a sort of governmental way, but we have to coexist. We have to co- coexist with each other. We have to coexist with nature. We have to coexist with the earth as a whole. You know, and you start breaking down any of those relationships and things like war and famine and, uh, you know, uh, uncontrollable poorness and, you know, that sort of thing just overwhelm things. Whereas, you know, uh, and, you know, and I don't mean to sound like this because I don't consider myself a liberal okay. by any stretch of, you know, but what I know is that we have to take care of each other. You know, uh, and I, you know, I'm going to use that word when we look at the pure definition of socialism and the way it works. Is why can't we live that way? Because you know, so. you know and I agree with you. Socialism, in theory, and I use that term a lot. In theory, socialism is a great thing. Mm-hmm. The problem with socialism is you introduce human nature into it, and human nature is why socialism doesn't work. Why? Because every every human wants to dominate the other human. That's it's right. The human nature. It's the so, human. Yeah. It's the I like to call it the human condition or the human nature. It's just the way we're wired. And you know, there's there's things that go on in the world that are going on in the world now that my girls went through. Where um, one thing that always got to me is my I had one daughter who played soccer. I had one daughter who was into well, she started out in hardball and then she changed to softball, but. Early on, they're like, we don't keep score. There's no winners and losers. Everybody gets a trophy. Now, to me, in the beginning, I'm like, I really don't like this. This isn't, you know, this isn't teaching them anything. It's not teaching them about the real world. You know, they're, in the real world, you've got winners and losers. You know, in the real world, everybody doesn't get a trophy. In the real world, you know, and then... As my wife would sit me down and go, you need to calm down. You need to think about this logically. You know, 
we're not teaching them about real life here. You know, they're just out there to have fun. I said, I know, but I, because I, I coached my daughter's baseball team one year. And I'm like, I, I get that. But every one of those kids in that, in that dugout, they know the score. doesn't matter if I put it on a board somewhere or not. You know, the kids know who's winning and losing. Um, except maybe my daughter. She probably didn't care one iota who was winning or losing. But, you know, and it was just one of those things that it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around. Um, you know, I, uh, if you had to put a, a political label on me, over the years it's changed. When Nikki and I first got married, I was very liberal. I was very much into... Um, you know, individual rights and letting people just be who they are. And that really hasn't changed. But my look on things as far as, you know, when it, when it gets to politics, and now we're going to talk politics, everyone. Yay! When it gets to politics, I am very fiscally conservative. It it irritates me that we have a thirteen billion dollar def or I'm sorry, thirteen trillion dollar deficit or twenty trillion depends on which one you look at. It's a really big number. It is. Write out all the zeros of a trillion. I don't know how many that is, but it's less than a Google, so it's under a hundred. Okay. But you know, you look at this and you go, why can't the government if I was a trillion dollars in debt or let's be a little more realistic. If I was $100,000 in debt and I just start writing checks, they're not going to clear. And I'm not just going to be able to say, well, I have a deficit. Why can the government run on a deficit? You know, why should they be allowed to run on a deficit and not take care of what they need to take care of? And that got me to be very anti-liberal because the liberals... At the time, and now we're working through history here. At the time, liberals were very much into, we need this, we need that, we need that, we need to help these people, we need to help those people. And and that's another thing that gets to me, is they are so willing to send money overseas, everywhere, to anybody, you know, for any little natural disaster. And now I'm not saying that these people don't deserve that, but they step over their own poor and homeless and poor and dying and, you know, veterans on the street here at home to help somebody else. That money could much be much better used here. Um, so I, I went very, very far to the right for a while. And then we had George Bush. Okay, so we had George W. And... His policies and the way he ran the country started sliding me back to the left. So we got Obama. Um, a lot of people don't know this about me, but now somebody will. I voted for Obama the first time. Why? Because he wasn't George Bush. And then Obama had his first term in office, and I went, what is he doing? You know, he's signing this, and he's doing that, and the Affordable Care Act, and and I don't want to sound like I'm opposed to all this. It's just, I didn't see where the money was coming to pay for all this. So I started to slide back to the left. And I didn't vote for Obama the second time around. And now I'm in a world of 
a, a corrupt politician, a corrupt lifelong politician versus Cheeto Jesus. And you can laugh. It's okay. And now who do I vote for? This is the first time I've actually taken the time to sit down and look at third-party candidates. And I found this group out there called the Libertarians. And I went, oh my God, that's me. You know, 90% of what they strive for, I'm like, that's it. So, you know, and, and I don't know how we got on politics here, but we did. So anyway, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the ebb and flow of where I sit politically, I guess. Uh, does this have anything to do with the topic you brought me? I think at some point it did, yes. Yeah. So and I, we, we kind of lent a little bit off subject. So All right, so, so let's bring it back to subject. I'm, I'm still in America. You're somewhere in Switzerland, but that's okay. Uh, you know, uh, well, they have good we, we cheese can do that. chocolate there. They do actually, yes. So, uh, and 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 the last love, which where we haven't touched on, which uh, well, there's actually an eighth one I learned, but uh, it's called felosha, uh, which is self love, and it can be either it can be healthy and unhealthy. It's that sort of love of yourself to be confident, but it can also be the that you love so much you're detrimental to everything you do. Right, you know, so, the the so. love, the egotistical love of self versus the healthy you know i'm 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 good enough i'm smart enough and i can handle this versus the i'm better than you are so you know and and one of the things i've always said to my wife and my children is that to love someone else you have to love yourself first absolutely because you know that's that's how we understand relationships with each other you know if you're if you're self-deprecating you're going to tend to be uh, harmful to the other person, that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, because if you can't love yourself, um, I've always thought, you know, the old saying is, if you can't love yourself, you can't love anybody, and and it's true to the fact that if you can't love yourself, how do you even know where to begin to love somebody else? You know, at least in a meaningful way, you might still have that, uh, you know, those those tittery, uh, excited feelings. But if you don't really love yourself, you don't really know how to, in my opinion, process those those feelings. Um, so yeah, I would I would agree with you there. Um, but uh, and you said there was an eighth one you found? Well, yeah, and and I, I learned this after I did all this research, and most of which came from psychology today. But um, uh, there's an eighth one called mania, which is obviously not so much a love as it is an obsession. You know that sort of you know, right. you know, Justin Bieberish type love. So, the, 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 oh my God, I said Justin Bieber's name on my podcast. That's right. So, we'll just cut that part. That's right. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, but I get what you're saying. Kind of that that stalkery kind of because this person is famous, therefore I love them, and I need to, to you know, and I need to make them aware that I exist. Kind of thing. Is that what we're getting at? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So. All right. Well, it looks like we kind of uh, exhausted your it's, your topic for yes, tonight. Yes, yeah, we have exhausted all my knowledge for the evening. So, <laughs> well, not so, all of it yet. I but, will go home brain dead now. So, well, you I will know, start talking in gibberish. Well, you, I thought I'd, but then thought I'd thigh. <laughs> you were working before you came here, so going home brain dead at this point, it's fair enough because you're done working for the day. I am. All right, so I'm going to jump into a couple things here, and then we'll come back to Mike to, to close out the to close it out tonight. But 
Uh, next week, I have a good friend of mine. I have known him since college, which was uh, a long time ago. Uh, I remember back in odd five. <laughs> Would that be 19 odd five or 2000 odd five? I don't remember. All right. So uh, next week, uh, my buddy Brian Teeman is coming on. Um, Brian is um, another one of my gamer friends. I know you guys have heard me say this before. Um, but Brian and I have known each other, like I said, since college. Um, even though he claims to have known me longer than I've known him. Long story, we went to the same high school. He's a couple years older than me. Maybe we'll get into it next week. Maybe we won't. But um, Brian has recently... Um, gotten into exercise and he's lost a bunch of weight um uh i've done the same thing so i'm hoping well maybe not hoping but i'm guessing that he's gonna try to throw me a curveball because he's not gonna come in here and talk about gaming he's gonna come in here i think and we're gonna talk about exercise i think you know just the um what we've both gone through um i've lost a substantial amount of weight brian has lost a substantial amount of weight um, but, uh, we'll talk, uh, I'm thinking that's what we're going to talk about next week. We'll find out. Um, next, um, email. Like I said last week, we are now doing episode six. So I'm hoping by the time we hit episode 10 in the can, which would put episode seven on the air, that we'll start having some emails coming in. People, um, giving constructive criticism, ideas, people they'd like to hear me talk to. And if I can get a hold of them, I will try that kind of thing. Um, and again, I've, I haven't said this for a couple weeks, but I am looking for intro and outro music. The intro music I have right now was provided by Al, the guy who uh, hosts this and does this uh, for me. Um, it's some music that he had done back in the day. I don't think it really fits the, um, the feel of the podcast. So I'm looking for something new. Al's aware of this, so I'm not hurting Al's feelings. Um, but I'm looking for some intro-outro music. Like I said in the past, I can't pay you for it. But I would be more than willing to, when I use your music, to uh, you know put in there who did it. And uh, if you want uh, a way that they can contact you. Um, if I get more than one, I will probably mix them up and use them all. Um, so yeah, so that's that segment. So now the last segment where we're going to bring Mike back in. Hi, Mike. Hi, Chad. Um, this is, this is the closing quote. We do this every episode. So today we are going to do a quote and then Mike, you're going to try to tell me, or we can discuss it if you want to. Um, it actually kind of ties in with what we were talking about today, strangely enough. Um, but, uh, and then you'll tell me if you can guess who said it. So the quote is, I like writing books. I'd rather be at home with my wife. I can write, take a break, come out, have a glass of tea, give my wife a kiss, and go back in and write some more. It's not so bad. I'm really lucky. C.S. Lewis. No. Now. Bigger than a bread box. Bigger than a bread box? <laughs> bigger than a oh, bread box. Bigger than a bread box. <laughs> yes, yes. Actually, um, I kind of threw a curveball here. That is a Gene Wilder quote. <laughs> and like I said, he passed away on August 29th at the age of 83. And uh, I, I guess... Um, and the final know, trivia question is, his wife was? Well, he had four of them. Mm -hmm. But the one I think you're talking about is Gilda Radner. And I think um, he stopped acting after Gilda died. And I think a lot of stuff, I think that was his 
you know, his one true love. Um, I don't know anything about his wife that he had when he passed away, but Gilda definitely seemed to have an impact on him like none of his other wives did. So, but with that, I am going to say rest in peace, Willy Wonka. Good night.